Oh, yeah. And if you let your boy BC digress for a second, I got something new to tell you about. How about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, right? How about a vehicle equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family? And if you're looking for features, the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has you covered, like available H-Trek all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some of that mud. And with standard third-row seating, you can make sure the whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads make sure no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Make sure you can worry less about the rugged terrain to come. Want to learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe? Head on over to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's a 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order that's petmeds.com and promo code podcast imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time i'm here to tell you about bowling branch sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowling branch sheets get softer with every wash they're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus 15% off your first order with code ODYSSEY. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. For the final time in 2023, your boys from Morning Combat going to get together and hand out our damn awards. Welcome on in. You're probably watching this on Friday, December 29th, 2023. And I did mention for the final time of this calendar year, this is the award winning Morning Combat. My name is Brian Campbell. You know me as the American Alpha, my partner in crime in D.C., experiencing a post-Christmas buzz at the moment, Luke Thomas. Luke, happy holidays. We're between Christmas and New Year's as we record this. We've got so much hardware to hand out across the sports of boxing and mixed martial arts, but did you and the family have a great one this year, Luke? I think it was pretty good, yeah. You know, Tuki enjoyed uh, Santa eating all her cookies and uh, drinking all her milk and then leaving her some nice gifts. She had a great time. Um... I, I feel like I I was a good gift giver this year, and, you know, I'm pretty hard to get gifts for, but um, they did their best. It was merry. It was cheerful. We did lots of things and sightseeing, had some lots of hot chocolate, 
Yeah, oh, I can't yeah. complain. I can't complain. What do they get for the man that has and knows everything, Luke? It's probably a tough, you know, math equation that they, but they pulled it off again. So did you. Happy to hear that same kind of, you know, this was, Luke, I compare this to the uh, first COVID Christmas we had a few years ago where, where we didn't go see any relatives. Everybody shackled up in their own houses. We did that again. Dude, these post-COVID Christmases are great. Just put yeah. in your house the people that matter to you the most. Don't change or put on deodorant and just watch movies and eat bad. I mean, it's dude, great. I've been catching up on so many movies that i missed because i can't go to the movies anymore especially dude all the good movies now are like three hours long right so yeah, i finally yeah. saw oppenheimer i finally uh, saw killers of the flower moon i finally saw barbie which was not actually much better than i thought it was going to be um actually all three of those were really good but bc here's the power rankings for lt ready okay number okay. one of those three of those three and they're all good want to be clear i actually like them all for different reasons but Killers of the Flower Moon, number one. Oppenheimer, number two. Barbie, number three. But, uh, I haven't they seen were any of the time. trio, but I'll try to jump in and join you shortly enough. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't even, it's the best holidays, Luke, when you're like, it wasn't even about the gifts. It wasn't. I just really no. enjoyed. Who cares? Unplugging and just enjoying the gifts, the real gifts that I have. You know, the people in my life. You mean Fortnite? <laughs> Uh, I play. I got a new gaming chair for my wife, so a lot of Fortnite was played. Nice. My, other, my other passion nice. in life. So uh, happy. Dude, for that look, as a... I got a controller. I got. You can get the Xbox app, which I know is bullshit, but you can get it on the Samsung TV, which is what I have. And oh, I was yeah. playing this. I was playing the new Hot Wheels game with the Tookster. It was a good time. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Big score here, Luke. My wife uh, nudged me to get for her for Christmas the. Uh, 8-bit Nintendo that you plug into your TV and it has like 600 games on it. You know, those jams yeah. that are floating around. And yeah. uh, my sons and I have been playing a lot of ice hockey. Remember the original? Ooh, just still. still yes. You got to get four fat guys on your team if, when you're when you're making your team. You know, you can get a yeah. minute, uh, skinny. You got the, the fast skinny ones or the medium size. Yeah. And some some old school Dr. Mario, too. So good times. But that's that. If you want to wear our merch and I'm wearing this hat right here. Luke, what shirt are you representing right here? It looks like the New York Knicks. Uh, this is not anything by the way here's our lowers our social lowers this is uh, i got this at a record store in um in the lower east side oh is that big luke yeah big in the new york knicks colors yeah i love that tour. even though of I course the that. nets or played new jersey now brooklyn I don't quite get why they did it the way they did it, but they did it the way they did it. They so did it. Go. They did it either way. So you can uh, go to morningcombat.store, get a little post-holiday uh, merch. Maybe there'll be some deals from RJ to clear the shelves. You never know, but check all that good stuff out there going on. And quick reminder, folks, next year, 2024. We're bringing it. We've already filmed the uh, projections as we look ahead to the new year. You can catch that right after the turn of the new year. And then stay tuned for some big announcements to come as we continue to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. I mean, that's that's a fair statement right there, okay? We got the awards to prove it. Right now, though, we've got a different awards. We're not receiving them. We are going to be giving them out, like we have done in the past, the prestigious MK Award for everything from Donk of the Year to Event of the Year to Fighter and then some and more. Get ready. It's coming at you. Luke, we've done a lot of uh, time in these parts, recapping the years as a whole. Great year for boxing. Really pretty damn good year for MMA. It's produced so many big moments. A lot of debates here, but we have done our best to limit it down to one winner or a tie, the best we could, putting our minds together. And we kick off the 2023 Morning Combat End of Year Awards with MMA Knockout of the Friggin' Year. Luke Thomas, we're going to go right to our winner. We'll shout out the, the honorable mentions and all that. 
But the morning combat choice for best knockout in 2023, it came in South Florida in April. It was Israel Adesonia regaining the middleweight championship with a pair of counter right hands against Alex Pededa. Then the celebration heard around the world. Then one of the best post-fight inspirational interviews of all time. Luke, we came to a consensus on this. When you think back to Izzy versus Alex, what stands out the most? Man, um, a lot of things stand out to me on that one. I would say personally BC, the triumphant moment. That's really what it was, was a triumphant moment. I mean, in any of these awards, you have to sort of lay out your criteria. And for me, it it does matter who was executing it and what kind of context they were executing it in, both in a technical sense and then in a larger sense. Like there's a, there's a level of what were the stakes involved, how good was the opposition, and how good itself was the KO. I kind of balance those things as the ones I care about. And when you look at it, and he, again, you, there's some people who think he played possum, whatever. I, I went down and did a big breakthrough where he, the fence now was not his enemy, but his friend because it drew in Pereira closer. He had a keen sense of timing about how his hands dropped, as he does, used that timing, dropped him, and then, of course, the three arrows and the celebration and what it meant to finally break through and get that win. It was truly triumphant. To me, it satisfies every category about what you want in a meaningful KO. You can find, you know, perhaps more vicious KOs or sometimes more interesting stakes depending on how you view it. But if you if you view it in the way that I do and the way that I previously just laid out, this one is a clear satisfier of uh, in so many uh ways, BC. I really think of all this, the, the the knockouts we had this year, we had some acrobatic ones, we had some more devastating ones. But we just didn't have one that played the levels like this one. Sure. Jimmy Izzy over sure. Alex. And I think the knockout of the year in both combat major sports of boxing and MMA can be that gray area that we're talking about where there are times that you can give a knockout more power on the rankings because of the stakes. And this one had incredibly high stakes, not just the middleweight championship, but the immediate rematch of their equally dramatic and, and sort of crazy ending and Pereira rallying back in round five. So there's so much at stake for Adesanya reputationally, you know, like in so many categories that it fulfills, like you said, it was stunning to look at, maybe not as spectacular as some of the other ones, but when you factor everything in UFC 287, Miami, it's it's like it's tough, Luke. It sucks for for Adesanya when we look back at the year as a whole that he did not implode necessarily, not fall apart, not even really laying an egg on like a Aldana or Cyril Gon level in their biggest losses of the year that also fueled huge victories for John Jones in his comeback. And of course, uh, the big victory there for Amanda Nunes, who walked away on top. But I feel like if Adesanya hadn't lost his title in the way he did to Strickland, that this knockout and the ripple effect of it, of what it could mean to different awards, could have been massive. We're voting it as the knockout of the year. If you had a comeback year, a year of the you know comeback of the year award, it could have won that. It could have easily been the promo of the year in terms of the inspirational interview afterwards. The celebrate the immediacy of that celebration by Adesanya was so cool, uplifting, like inspirational, motivated. Like it was everything in one. But look, it's almost as if the lost to Strickland in the way that he sort of gave back the title and sort of not, you know, kind of limps into a new year with us, not really knowing which direction he's going in his career, which division he's going to. I wonder if that changes some things. We still gave it this award, but that moment was so big. You could argue it was the best win of the year for any person at the highest level, that it was certainly the, the most important win in terms of what it meant. 
you can't discount even at the highest level what it means to get walked down and stopped in the way that Adesanya did in a fight that he was leading so much the year before in their first MMA meeting in the UFC. And considering the boogeyman nature, the role that Pereira was, Pereira was playing in Adesanya's head, yet what he did in that moment to turn it around, it's so, it, it was so magical but I feel like it could have been even more maybe if he had beaten Strickland like we thought he would and and would have been in contention here for fighter of the year. Didn't go that way, but what a freaking great moment. It's going to be hard to top a knockout like this year to year because of all we, of those elements. I'll just quickly add, BC, we don't have as a category performance of the year. And again, it all depends on how you want to define it. To me, I would define performance as who on a single night performed the most ably on a single night, right? Not right. overall the year. Not did they have a knockout or not? Not necessarily, right? It could, it could be a lot of ways in which you look at it. But for me, um, it would be on the boxing side. Terence Crawford beating Errol Spence—that sure. that is to me out the the best performance by any boxer this year, far far end away. And I do respect obviously what Noe Inoue has done. And on the MMA side, I give it to Izzy. I give it to him on this one. Um, now, Isn't that crazy? That's, deba that's, that's debatable. That's debatable because you had Makachev going in there and blowing through Volk in the rematch and like blowing through him. The problem is the nature of the way in which he took it, the second fight on short notice. Like, yeah, it, yeah, do I know. it docks I it. I mean, that. it's a great KO on tape. You know what I mean? But like, right, it does. It changes that. And what's crazy about Adesanya here? Uh, final point on this is he may have had the best win of the year, like you just debated over uh, Pereira. But he may have been on the losing end of arguably also the best win of the year, and that was Sean Strickland when he updated yes. when he upset him because it was so thorough from start to finish. So it just shows you the craziness in this game. But I'm glad we didn't forget what was a sensational, deep-rooted, inspirational comeback win right there. Let's keep it going, Luke, on the honorable mentions. Look, nobody's given this the love in the top five. I ended up voting at number two overall. It was in the PFL. It was during the regular season. Do you remember Sadabusi's spinning back kick knockout against Shane Mitchell that did look a little bit like Barboza versus Adam? I'm shocked that nobody's talking about that, Luke, although it did win the uh, best uh, MMA knockout at the World MMA Awards this year. So that was good to see. Do you have any honorable mentions that you want to throw out there? Um, I guess if you're adding to other ones on that list, there's a few directions you could go. Obviously, Justin Gaethje knocking out Dustin Poirier with a head kick Shocking. is yep. really big. That's really, really huge. Um, Rob Font's win over Adrian Yanez is a big one. You have to really kind of honor that fact as well. Um, uh, my favorite Bellator performance would be a submission from Patchy Mixel. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but Umar Nurmagomedov beating uh, Howany Bar Barcelos, KOing him is a big one. Hell yeah. And Luke, sometimes recency bias can be a factor in terms of winning this awards. This one didn't get over the top, but in any other year with Josh Emmett versus Bryce Mitchell from UFC 296 in December, be in contention in your eyes for KO of the year. Yeah, there's no, I mean, that's one of the most, dude, that's one of the most devastating KOs in the entire sports history. I'm not being dead serious. Like, that's how bad that KO is. But the problem was in terms of making it the KO of the year, it just that the fight had no storyline. Mitchell was a sure. last minute replacement. And obviously the, it was so devastating that it now has a bigger story attached to it. But at the time in which they fought, it was like, hey, Bryce filling in on short notice. Isn't that great? And then he just suffers a vicious KO. Ooh. It kind of docks it in the in the way in which I'm defining it. But again, this all these award shows, everyone wants to pretend like their choice is better. But your choice is only a function of your of your criteria for me. The other factors weigh uh, when you're making a, a choice here. But if it was just 
brutality or viciousness or you know thoroughness, maybe he would win. All right. I also want to shout out Benoit Saint-Denis. His head kick of Matt Frivola and MSG was something stunning. And we can't go any further, Luke, without also uh, throwing a shout out in this regard when, he, when you're talking about the best knockouts to Robbie Lawler. I know it was more of the moment against Nico Price, the retirement to end the preliminary portion of the UFC pay-per-view card in July. The knockout was also pretty good, too. And you just take that all into account. What he did walking away on top, what Amanda Nunes did walking away on top, different circumstances there, though. But I would put that in this criteria, an unforgettable knockout from the ruthless one, Robbie Lawler. Let's keep the finishing going, Luke. And I'm not talking about straw weights, right? I'm talking about submission of the year. And here's a couple honorable mention nominees before we announce the winner. Shavkat Rachmanov versus Jeff Neal, third round standing RNC, Luke Thomas, and the Bonfim brothers. We had Ishmael in a knockout of the year performance uh, nominee against McKinney. How about Gabriel Bonfim against Munir Laze with the mounted guillotine? Luke, any other honorable mentions you want to circle before we anoint a winner? No, no. uh, you got a pretty good list here. I agree with basically everything you've got. Yeah. All right. The winner, though, there can only be one. For 2023 for Morning Combat, submission of the year, Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko. It was their first of two meetings in the calendar year. This one was shocking, not just that yet another talented flyweight was pushing the great champion Shevchenko to the limit like we'd seen before from the likes of Talia Santos. But Luke, this was Grasso becoming a star in the moment and forcing one of the three greatest female fighters of all time to tap out. Did not see that coming. Yeah, didn't see it coming either. Although, if you go back and look at how she trained and what she had identified, they had a, there was nothing accidental about this rear naked choke. They knew that there were going to be opportunities where Shevchenko showed her back, and they took advantage of it in the way that they had trained, in the way that they had game planned. It was an elevated moment for Grasso. It was an elevated moment for her gym, for her country, for the for the women's game. It was just a fantastic win. And BC, in many ways, when you think about it, it was just rear naked choke she jumped on a rear naked choke and got the stoppage very quickly and what was so special about the choke itself in that sense it was a well-timed well-executed one but the choke itself wasn't dazzling it wasn't a twister it wasn't a unique way you'd never seen it before it was a very standard for the most part rear naked choke but the other ways in which you can evaluate submission of the year so the complexity or the level of technical detail complexity is not the right word the level of technical detail matters to me But in the MMA sense, BC, them identifying all the opportunities to find her back and then waiting for the moment that they had planned to do it in training. Sure enough, Shevchenko does it. They then jump on it. I mean, that level of detail of game planning, of muscle memory, of execution, of presence of mind. And again, the stakes being for the title, being this the biggest opportunity for her career and then some against this, the most successful fighter in that division's ever had, basically, in the women's side and then getting it all done. That has to be your submission of the year. It has to be. It It fulfills so many criterias so thoroughly. And it was so shocking to see Shevchenko fall into a vulnerable position and then tap like that, just just succumb to defeat in that way. Not that I expected her to pass out or whatever, but it was just like, wow, Grasso's in this position, and wow, she pulled it off. It just escalated so quickly. It was such a breathtaking moment. They had an incredible rematch, and we expect a trilogy after that draw that we saw at Noche in September. Uh, Luke, I mentioned quickly those honorable mentions. Um, That's rare, correct, when we see Bonfim 
putting Laze into a mount, tying up his legs with his own legs, and then delivering the guillotine on top position like that, you don't see that exact submission every day. No, I think it's Lazez, although I'm not sure either, to be perfectly honest. Sure. Uh, but yes, it is a rare kind of, well, you know, it's un in MMA, it's not super common. It's not super common okay. for that kind of thing in MMA. And so you got that also Jones gone being a sort of weird up against the fence kind of guillotine joke. Am um, I being very too MMA harsh specific. here? I don't have Jones gone in any of my sort of categories, even though Jones coming back is one of the biggest stories of this calendar year, along, of course, with, you know, everything going on with Nganu, uh, Nunes walking away, the Adesanya versus Pereira type of discovery, Sean Strap, I mean, a lot of breakthrough stories of this year. But look, I didn't like this finish. I didn't like this fight. I now am worried maybe in the long run because I'm playing up too much about how much Gon didn't do. It's like I'm stripping Jones of everything he did successfully in this comeback win. I mean, is that the thing is this. This this is why it can't be submission of the year. It's because Gon's defense was really bad. His defense in or his shot selection in terms of his, or I should say, his strike selection, and then the defensive choices he made grappling, and then the ease with which the choke was applied. You, it's very, very hard for you to award this to John because the opponent who was resisting was not a skilled in this in this dimension was not especially skilled whereas Shevchenko much more skilled that window that Shevchenko had just excuse me the window that Grasso had to throw the football through right so to speak was very very small and she did it it was a very difficult needle to thread this was not this was just one guy in this dimension's not very good and the other guy is boom it's very academic it's why it ended the way that it did so you can't give it to him but John's application of it all was pretty nice for what that's worth yeah, also Yair Rodriguez getting that triangle on Josh Emmett in that very important number one contenders fight that led him to a title shot. Mm -hmm. Also another big moment in this calendar year. We move on also, from submission. Also, on the Neil on the Neil Rachmanov one, you know, uh, Rachmanov fans don't come much bigger than me, BC, but even I am like, it was a cool submission, the way that he did it, and the fact that it, you know, it's part of this long streak of all finishes this was his toughest opponent in the ufc to date you know it was a rock and sock and war and he had this next gear there's lots of things to admire from it but it, nothing really stands out about it that makes you want to say wow this was really special sure. it's special in the greater context of the overall things of which he's doing and it was a nice win it's a very nice win uh and there was there was some trickery to the way he set it up by using his outside leg to block the hip of uh, uh, uh jeff neal but it just doesn't stand up to what Alexa Grasso pulled off much, much, much less. Congratulations to Alexa Grasso on really an incredible breakthrough year and really becoming the face that maybe Brandon Moreno was a year before of Mexican MMA and the breakout year the Lobo Jim has had. So uh, good to see right there. We go over to boxing KO of the year. Luke, a couple nominees that really could have won it. I'm going to name a couple. I know you have one in your back pocket that that you felt could have won it. David Morrell's one-punch shot against, against late replacement Yamaguchi Falcao on the Tank Davis Ryan Garcia undercard was big. You've got to love Janabek's uppercuts against Stephen Butler. How about Mauricio Lara in the first of two big fights one. against Lee Wood? The first one being that fight of the year contender. Lara delivering a big left hook in round seven that dropped Wood. Uh, Wood's corner, Ben Davison, would throw in the towel, and that would lead them, of course, to a very exciting rematch. And I also wanted to shout out, you want brutality? Junto Nakatani against Andrew yes. Maloney was a uppercut as Maloney was coming forward. That's about as brutal a one-punch shot. Maloney was down for a while, as I can remember. And Anthony Joshua. We hated him sleepwalking through Robert Hellenius, Luke, but when he finally delivered that right hand in round seven, it was destructive. None of those are the winner, 
And none of those are a bone to pick you have on a KO that you think could have won it this year. I mean, there are some good choices. And, I, you know, again, this is really depends on criteria. So for me, these aren't huge stakes by any stretch of the imagination, but they were relevant enough. Uh, the KO itself, I really enjoyed, and the technical details of it kind of matter to me. So, of course, he faked low and then went high. And then he it, it looked the visuals of it, BC. Surely you would agree that the visuals of it are somewhat unique. In that when Brian Mendoza KO'd Sebastian Fundora, he fell like a tree, did he not? And, of course, he's super tall, which is why he did. But the nature of which, how how quick it happened, it was basically, it was two shots, but it was really one. And he just completely fell back. This was the biggest win of Brian Mendoza's career. It ultimately set up a fight with Tim Zhu, which he, you know, he was not good enough for, or he fought, but he didn't win. Uh, But BC, he had had a, he he is a good puncher, uh, Brian Mendoza. This was well-timed, this was well-executed, and this was also Fundora riding as high as he had been up to this point, having great wins previous. This one, frankly, against Lubin, a bit of a battle-tested moment, I thought. And then Mendoza came and absolutely slammed the door shut on him. It's not the biggest fight, and I can understand picks in other directions. I do think, though, that it's worth putting him on the list and saying, let's not forget about Brian Mendoza. Great KO he had this year. Great comeback year in, t- in terms, you know, over the past two years, like you mentioned, that led up to that loss to Tim Zhu. He had some big comeback wins. But I think what was unique about this KO and why it deserves such a high placement was you said it was two shots. You're right. But that first big shot essentially put Fundora on, on skates, Luke. And it was like slowly the timber of watching the tree fall mm-hmm. as Mendoza landed that one extra shot. And it just really put the exclamation point on Fundora going down and falling like a tree, like a ton of bricks, incredible visual, but the actual winner, Luke, and this is one I fought for KO of the year. Doesn't always have to be title fight, pay-per-view, big time television. You can win it in the off skirts of regular boxing. And we saw Mark Magsayo, the former featherweight champion, normally fighting with PBC, took a stay busy fight in December to close out the year. It was off of regular sort of, you know, network television. But what he did against Isaac Avalar was good enough for our Morning Combat 2023 Boxing KO of the Year. A left hook from hell, but Luke, like, let's give you an equivalent, like Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie, a, a great MMA KO of the Year nominee from a few years ago at MSG. When the body falls in such a spectacular way, and Isaac Avalar's did, he got caught moving with that left hook, and then he folded up and laid under the ropes, and it happened just perfect in, in succession Dude, that's about as violent and as aesthetically pleasing in terms of the art of the fall as I remember in some time. Just a perfect, perfect demolishing KO for Magseo. You love to yeah, see And this. also the way he juked and then set it up, moves the guy out and then catches him on the exit. And then to your whole point, the way he fell and where he laid, it's the most memorable KO in, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, this, this is the kind of one that you would put on a TikTok highlight reel and you don't have to know anything about either of the guys. And just the way that it looks would make it very memorable. And so for that reason, I can understand putting it there. And again, here's where the Mendoza argument for me comes up short, as best I can tell. The stakes just weren't really super high. They were they were very important for Mendoza. They were very important to keep whatever title they had, which was the interim title, I believe, in rotation, which is fine. There's there's some there's some importance to that, I suppose. But it wasn't super great. And so the KO, while cool. It wasn't as cool on pure KO terms, BC, uh, as uh, the Mexio KO. So I can't make a strong of an argument. I just want to make sure we don't forget it. That's all.
There it is right there. That's your KO of the year. But let's go to Boxer of the Year. Who also, cross let me ask a question. Let me ask a question yeah. before we move on. Last one for me. Why is Joshua's KO of Hellenius, which was nice, but like was Wilder's KO of Hellenius, which happened, by the way, f significantly quicker. Was it much worse? Was it less memorable? I mean, I don't remember yeah, it being it was. that much worse. The punch that Wilder hit Hellenius in, which was the round, it was a year ago, it was in 2022, and it was round one, and it sort of looked like it, a regular shot to the upper forehead, top of the head area. It's just a Wilder punch is so destructively that Hellenius just went dead right in front of him. Yeah. The one against Joshua was different, largely, of course, because leading up to that, Joshua was circling from the outside boxing, kind of sleepwalking, so when he exploded and landed it, it just broke open a boring kind of weird fight. But Luke, if yeah. you rewatch it, the right hand landed so spectacularly as Hellenius was sort of sidestepping and it caused him to just explode. And it was a reminder of the power that Joshua brings, which is why it was so nice to see Joshua put the punches together against Otto Valin to close out this year and get a big win for him to okay. sort of restore his name. But it, Luke, that right hand split the guard as Hellenius would come and by and it just splattered him. Okay, fair enough. I, I guess I just don't remember... Um, Wilder's KO, and again, I'm not saying it should have been. I just didn't think Joshua's KO of Hellenius was as spectacular as you did. I did like it. Um, so I was a little surprised that it ended up on people's lists, but you know, because I, I don't remember Wilder's being on people voted for it on list. CBS for KO of the year across the sport, Luke. It was it was up there. Donks, don't forget donks. that Wilder's was the previous year, so it wasn't in the running. I, I understand. I, I just mean, I didn't see it on the lists at the time. I didn't think there was a big difference. Okay, fair Maybe enough, you whatever. just need to see it again, Luke. Maybe that's where Maybe I do. I guess, I'm, I guess I don't remember it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Usually you rewatch them all as you're about to vote for it. You know, it's just a No, no. I, I, again, I've seen it. I've seen it, dude. I just don't. I don't quite love it in the way that other people seem to love it, I guess. Fair enough. We have different uh, tastes and opinions and criteria. Let's go to Boxer of the Year, Luke. And this was a very interesting debate because we had boxers that had breakthrough, breakout years that, to argue, the guys who are end up going to finishing in second, third, fourth in this voting could have won it on many other calendar years. But many other calendar years didn't have this kind of race, not just for pound for pound number one that went back and forth between Crawford and Inouye, but for the larger argument at the top. So your nominees that didn't win it for Boxer of the Year look like this. Devin Haney uh, defended his four-pack of lightweight titles in a disputed pay-per-view fight of the year contender against Vasily Lomachenko and then moved up in weight and, and really just walked all over Ruguru to, to announce himself on a pound-for-pound level on really a whole new level. Haney could have won at end of year. Gervonta Davis, before uh, going into prison to close the year, had two big-time knockouts on the pay-per-view level against, uh, of course, Garcia, Hector Garcia to open it, and then Ryan Garcia. And then you had, of course, Terrence Crawford. Only one performance, but it's the biggest win of this calendar year, one of the most thorough wins on the title level that we've ever seen against Errol Spence in their long-awaited welterweight undisputed fight. And David Benavidez, Luke, who doesn't win it on our vote, but you talk about a fighter who's right here about to kick through your television screen. What more could you have asked from Benavidez? Couldn't get Canelo or the biggest names in, but went in there against Caleb Plant in a big fight on pay-per-view in March that got a lot of people incited and demolished him. And what he did against Demetrius Andrade to close the year on Showtime pay-per-view. Wow. 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 Only Luke, that's not the winner. You and I are unanimous. 
The winner for Boxer of the Year was that name I mentioned off the top, the Japanese monster himself, 30-year-old Niowa Inoue, last December became the first four-bell undisputed champion in Bantamweight history. This calendar year, he moved up, fought unbeaten pound-for-pound ranked Stephen Fulton Jr. in July, demolished him at home to win two of four titles at 122. And then what he did against Marlon Topolis just the day after Christmas this week was just another one-sided victory and another feather in the cap. Luke, Niowa, in a way, when you ask, okay, why does he deserve it over Crawford and Haney? Your answer is what? People would like to tell you that the fact that he fought two times versus Bud fighting once would be the answer. I don't really believe that that's really a great argument. It, you would have to say the the what what value does each win constitute? And then you have to ask yourself: Do the two wins from Noya uh, in a way do they constitute enough value? more so than the one victory that Terrence Crawford had. That's really a matter of debate. Um, it's not very clear cut. For me, the fact that he did fight twice against uh, right the, 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 four, the, the two folks who had the four titles and becoming unified or undis- I should say undisputed so quickly tells you of the, of the significance of who he was fighting, the ease with which he did it, right? Stopping both of them inside the distance, doing it in the same calendar year, all up a weight class from where he had previously unified, to me, to me, these are too many factors that speak to his excellence and consistency and daring for me to not give, in a way, the title. But BC, I will tell you something. I will tell you something. Terrence Crawford tweeted this, and I would love to get your perspective on it to see what you think. He, in fact, tweeted this the day that we're recording this. Quote, I'm the only fighter to beat a top five pound-for-pound fighter this year. And the way I beat him was unmatched. 2023 fighter of the year is me. Some might say, but I only fought one time. But that one fight was bigger than any of the others. BC, I will grant that Spence Crawford, I mean, we're not in Japan, but it does feel, at least from what we can tell, it was a bigger event than what, in a way, had put on in Japan. All respect to how big that actually was for that market. But the other part that he beat a top five pound-for-pound guy. If you're a believer in way in the way that you are, what's your response to Bud Crawford? Yeah, I think it's it's a perfect defense for Crawford. And I, I'm going to – look, I did the same voting in the same day, meaning I cast my vote for my final pound-for-pound number one in 2023, right, because Inoue fought the final week of the year, so it brought that back up for debate. The same time I casted my vote on CBS Sports and also right here on Morning Combat for Fighter of the Year. It just turns out that Inoue got both. So here's the breakdown in my head. This, the victory that, that Crawford had, if you want him as your fighter of the year, best victory of the year, you know, pound for pound number one, we can't argue with you. We can't. I mean, what we said it in July, because if you remember in July, Inoue fought for Fulton four days before Spence Crawford. So it happened in the same week we've got incredible pound for pound madness going on. And I remember thinking to myself, we said it on the show, Boy, would it take something special from Crawford to have a chance to take that number one spot from a new way that week. Luke, we saw that something special. Okay. So like, I'm not here to argue against it, but the, the, the argument for Crawford is exactly what he said. He fought a guy who was not only number two or three based on your pound for pound voting, maybe, maybe fourth at worst in Spence. And if you would have had Spence at number one there, people wouldn't have been, you know, coming to your door with torches. Like this is a, a competitive pound for pound debate. And he not only dominated him, 
We are literally at the point where we're waiting on when Spence's next fight was going to be, which actually will probably be a rematch against Crawford, hopefully at 154 if we have to do this. But we're literally going into that fight wondering, is Spence done? Like, I get that Spence isn't young. He's right at the tail end of his absolute prime in his mid-30s, right? Like, it's he's closer to done than not. But let's remember who he was entering that fight. And now we're potentially talking about him suffering as one side of the dismantling defeat, as we're not even sure if he should box again. So that's all a feather, a massive feather in the cap of Crawford. If Inouye had only fought mere mortals to get to this point, then I would have leaned Crawford probably in both directions, even though I'm usually, usually having been a voter in these type of things at ESPN and CBS going back more than a decade. I'm always against people who only have one fight in these debates because it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Even in 2015, Luke, when everybody was naming Floyd Mayweather fighter of the year for beating Manny and then beating an old Birdo, I was the guy arguing, going, look, I know Floyd's victory over Manny, who was number two pound for pound at the time. How could you beat that? But look at the year Canelo had breakthrough wins, including winning the middleweight title for Miguel Cotto. Like I was making that debate because I felt like it evened out. In this case, at least for Inouye, he fought an unbeaten unified champion in Fulton, who, if he wasn't number eight, nine, or 10 in your pound for pound, had to be no higher than honorable mention 11 to 15. Like it's right there. And you add in Topolis, and also you add in Luke that Topolis wasn't the walkthrough that we expected. And while you can certainly look at that as a negative against Inouye, like, look, he didn't dominate him like we thought, I think this actually pointed instead to add even more layers to, to Inouye's greatness. Because after the Topolis fight, he actually said, like, when they were like, what could be next for you? He said, well, no, no, no I, I think this is my division now, which is, I think, his way of understanding that now in his fourth weight class, maybe 122 is the ceiling. Not saying he'll never take a fight at 26 or 30, but maybe 122 is where his power and skills meet their limit against qualified fighters. Topolis turned out to be a qualified fighter, even though he lost a one-sided fight in which he was knocked out, in which Inoue landed three times the amount of punches. He did hang in there. He was game. And we got to see a little bit more of that true brilliance of Inoue come out against fighters that are just so naturally larger than him. So I think the fact that he had two victories, one came against an unbeaten pound-for-pound level guy, and you consider this. What Inoue did in beating Topolis was he equaled Crawford in the history books as the only two-division, four-belt undisputed champions. And when I say four-belt, I mean the modern four-belt era, which is going back 20 to really 1988, but you can also argue that 2004 was maybe when we really started recognizing that fourth belt for the first time and giving it the care it needs. There's already been, I think there's a total of six or eight boxers before the multi-belt era who have been great enough to be undisputed champion in two divisions at the same time. Heck, Henry Armstrong was a three-division simultaneous champion back when there was only eight champions. But we can only compare in this modern era. Even though Inoue equaled Crawford, I think it's even more impressive what he did. Crawford was the undisputed champion at 140 back in like 2019. And yes, he got it done at welterweight by beating Spence. But Inoue did it in consecutive years in divisions that we, again, weren't sure exactly what he would look like in. And he didn't face nobodies who happened to have titles. He went in one by one and systematically broke down the best fighters in the sport in that division, including this. Even though Inoue did not get a chance to fight Murajan Akhmadaliev, the unified champion who was uh, upset by Topolis, he basically teased after the win over Topolis 
that I know you guys have heard the rumors about me coming back in May. We still have to figure it out. He wants to fight Akhmadali of next in May. So there's no doubt who the best guy at 122 is. So long-winded rant to say, I do think there's enough in that. We're, we're splitting hairs, right? But there's enough in that to give it to Inouye in the peak of his prime. I don't know what his limits are. Maybe 122, he's finding out that there are limits, but I don't know what his true limits are. If Crawford had beaten anybody for that second fight, would it have been enough? Probably, Luke. But it's hard to beat these two wins when you become undisputed champion in the second one, like Inouye did against Topolis. It is what it is. Uh I don't have much to add, and I don't have a great boxing comparison. Perhaps you might be able to think of one, BC, but we started the show saying if there was a category, which we don't have, but if we had a category called like performance of the year, a single yes. night where someone just had a great night, no matter what else happened, any time else, it was going to be Izzy for me in the MMA side and then Terrence here on the boxing side. So I want to remind folks of that, number one. But like the Izzy side is actually a pretty instructive here. He had this incredible KO where he got back the title that he had just lost via stoppage. He finally uh, slayed the dragon, uh, exercised his demons, put to cur put to end this curse where he couldn't get a win over this guy. I mean, all of this stuff, and he did it in dramatic fashion. And then what happened later in the year? He lost about he was widely expected to win. I don't want to suggest that there couldn't be other factors in play that make his situation, both in a different sport, meaningfully different from Noya Inouye's, not least of which is Inouye is 30. I think Izzy's going to be 34, going to be 35 relatively soon. So, you know, we're talking about guys who are, and by the way, there was a ton of tape on Izzy. There was other factors in play that ultimately contributed to the Sean Strickland loss. My only point is, BC, if we're talking about a calendar year, 12 months, just because someone had a very great single event, that is... That does not in any way disqualify them from winning, but being consistent is very difficult to do. It's why, again, the hardest thing to do in combat sports is to win a title. Boxing is a little bit different, but certainly in MMA is to win a major title and then defend all comers. It is very, very, very difficult to maintain that consistent excellency over time. Dude, in a way, you could say, well... The Fulton fight was more dominant than the Topolis fight. That is true, but Topolis overperformed to a degree, depending on your perspective, and he still got stopped. Like, he still got stopped. I mean, the, the level of excellence in all the dimensions and the consistent excellence from Onoya, in a way, it's just too hard to overlook for me. Just yeah, and it could be hard if a guy's only got one fight, or in the case of Alex Pereira, we're going to get to the MMA fighter of the year balloting. You could have a loss as part of your three fights, but what if the other two, you know, look at Katie Taylor, who is also in discussion here for boxer of the year. Her second win over Chantel Cameron, you know, that's in discussion for the fight of the year as well. But Luke, you, you can't overlook the loss, though. You can't, right? Just like you can't overlook if somebody only has one performance. It is what it is when you're comparing at the highest level. To close on this, though, if somebody said, hey, guys, nice debate about Inoue versus uh, versus Crawford. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. 
ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Don't what say Devin Haney. Haney. What else? Oh, what else don't say Devin do? Haney. Dude, what Devin else Haney. What had to do? Dude, the, 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 the win over Lomachenko, you can score it however you want. BC, we talked about it on the show. It's not necessarily a robbery, although it was... You know, I don't think a scorecard for Lomachenko is unfair either. You don't get to win Fighter of the Year in cases like that. I don't. I know he okay. moved up in weight. Okay. I know he won a title. I get it. I understand. I, I I appreciate what he turned in. I'm not one some guy who thinks he's some fraud or anything like that. That's not my point. You are not allowed to have fights that close and win awards like this. Period. Can't do it. Okay. Sorry. That's a fair comeback, but you got to give him credit across. Breadman Edwards. Breadman Edwards told me like when Spence lost to Crawford, you know, he was of the mind that you should be dropped from the top 10 entirely. And his argument was, even if you lose to the top pound for pound guy, no top pound for pound guy should ever lose in the way that Spence lost to Crawford. That's now that's debatable point. itself. But when you frame it like that, like we're talking about the highest level of excellence, the guy who did the best in the entire sport this year, you are not allowed to have a fight that close when Naoya Inouye is doing what he's doing and blowing people out of the water. No chance. I had that same debate. I've got Spence at number eight right now. A lot of people took him off of the top ten. I do actually like the spirit of Birdman's argument, but I've always felt like if you're one or two and you lose in any circumstance, could you actually get eliminated from the top ten? I try to hold back from doing that, but you make a good point. When you're dominated at that, that in that fashion, and we have this many questions, maybe maybe we should consider Dude, that. But. We went from Spence being top five pound for pound to being like, we don't know if he should fight again. Yeah. Like, dude, <laughs> that is that's, dramatic, that's you know? That is dramatic. That is dramatic. It could go a, a lot of different ways there, depending on which criteria you're going to lean on. But that's fight uh, fighter of the year. Let's go to boxing fight of the year. We want to focus first on the fo on the, the fights that did not win the award. Luke, we got to put some respect on it. The Katie Taylor versus Chantel Cameron rematch at 140 pounds for all four of Cameron's titles, which gave Taylor a shot to equal, by the way, what we've seen from Clarissa Shields, Terrence Crawford, and Niowa in a way, becoming four belt undisputed champions in two different divisions. And for Taylor, this is simultaneous. But Luke, she did it at an advanced age coming back after a competitive loss in her home country with the fans going sick. I think this is in debate and you really could have won it. Taylor Cameron too had it all. It was great. There were a lot of great fights. Although I will say BC, what kind of stood out to me about this exercise is for how great the year in boxing was. And it was great. 2023 was a great year. 
it's not like there weren't a lot of great fights to pick from. Yeah. But was this year a little short on a little short a little thriller short matchups? Does that make sense? Absolutely. It is. And there's been there were wars that need our attention and like Hami Mungia, Sergei Derevinchenko. Absolute war. Luis Neri versus Azad Hovenason was like a under the radar war. The first Wood versus Lara fight, Lee Wood and Mauricio Lara, Luke, was an absolute war that ended in knockout. But they can't get it done. You can't forget Amanda Serrano in that bloody war with Erica Cruz Hernandez for a world title. Artur Betterby versus Anthony Yard. There was a lot of fun brawls that yes. were on the title level or below it. But I agree with your point. You have to encompass everything when you're talking about fight of the year. It has to have character stakes. It's got to have, you know, back and forth. It's got to have a lot of things going for it. All of the ones I just mentioned came up just short. But you can call it recency bias or not. But what we saw within the last month in Glendale, Arizona, top rank ESPN, a featherweight title bout as Robesy Ramirez comes up empty, losing his title via majority decision to unknown six foot one Mexican heavyweight Rafael Espinoza. Luke, that had all that and then some. That right there, Ramirez versus Espinoza, is your 2023 MK Boxing Fight of the Year. Why, Luke Thomas? Well, I mean, I guess a couple of reasons. First of all, it was a spirited contest. Second of all, uh, Rubisi Ramirez, why, what, what were the odds again? Widely expected to win. Minus 1750, something stupid like that. Yeah, I mean, just an absurd amount. Like, I, I, we, BC, I think we had kind of slept on it. I think we thought it was going to be good. We didn't really give her hardly any coverage. And first of all, so first of all, it's a shocking upset. It was a ridiculous back and forth. And ultimately, like the final culmination, BC, Espinosa putting a stamp on it basically at the end of the of the of the bout um it's just too good to look the other way it's there's too much excellence yeah. in the boxing ring with too much uh, of a narrative about the upset with too much of the sort of broader stakes involved here dude like what is there not to again what is there not to like about this particular well, contest? i don't have quite i don't yeah please add something to that because i don't feel let like i have add the best what, what might answer. be missing we want dramatic swings of momentum. I do when I'm looking at a fight of the year. So let's talk about this. Not only was Ramirez a monster favorite, then Espinosa essentially goes up 5 nothing on all three scorecards or, or to most people scoring at home. It's like, oh, wow, this unknown guy is pitching the upset. Ramirez comes back. They brawl through the middle rounds. They're in a 16 by 16 foot pine box of a ring in Miami and the crowd is going sick for Ramirez, the Cuban fighter, uh, you know, big time star down there. He does this big comeback. He floors Espinosa, and you think, okay, he's going to right the wrong. This is where we're at. But with the fight still in the balance and the crowd going nuts as they brawled, the fact that Espinosa rallies to score a knockdown in round uh, 12, and that pulls him just enough to score the majority decision. You had an upset. You had dramatic back and forth. You had a knockdown in the final round that gave you almost a knockout in the final round type feeling due to like the what, like the what how important it was. And then you get the big upset emotional win in which he's broken down to tears. It's Puerto Rico versus Mexico. I mean, there's so many elements. And it was a title fight in a main event on ESPN. So it's not like it's one of these, you know, so far off TV that you need an illegal box to find it. This literally had everything. Character stakes and a breakout performance from a guy we'd never heard of before. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm going to. That's I'm a much better explanation than the one I was able to provide. I apologize. Well, no, no, but I also for, I forgot about the Mexico and uh, Puerto Rico element, which is obviously 
for MMA fans who might not know, that's one of the most storied rivalries in all of boxing in terms of nation versus nation. It's never really right. It was, wasn't um, Cotto and um, Margarito, Puerto Rico yes. versus Mexico. I mean, you can just Arguably go down the, the list. the best fight in that right. rivalry, yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, you can. there's just any number of historical battles along those that, those fault lines as well. So, yeah, dude, what a win. And by the way, Ramirez had – he fought on the – correct me if I'm wrong. He fought on the, in a way, Fulton card. He had a nice win on that event. Yeah. And if you don't know his story, obviously he had – he defected from uh, – uh, no, excuse me. He – wait a second. Ramirez defected not defect? from Cuba. He had the tattoo removal from yes, the Cuban government. That's right. He, had the, he defected from Cuba. I thought my brain wasn't working for a second. He defected from Cuba and hadn't seen his daughter uh, until this year. And the last time he had seen her was 2018. 2018. So, like, we're talking about a guy who has overcome a lot of struggle. And you sure. could see he was heavily favored to win. But then ultimately, um, man, forget about it. We had a couple other brawls I just want to shout out. Joe Cordina versus Rockamoff was incredible. Christian, Christian Mobili against Carlos Gonzaga was a memorable one, sort of off the radar. But one final mention on Fight of the Year nominees. I think Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko belongs in the top five. Luke, do, are you crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? Because I know when we think Fight of the Year, we always think brawl. But when you have a fight that is a pay-per-view main event in much anticipated, which this was, had huge pound-for-pound stakes with two guys in the top 10. Had huge stakes in terms of the titles where uh, Haney's, the at the time, the undisputed lightweight champion. Lomachenko's the aging veteran trying to regain the titles he once had. And then, no, was it a brawl? No. But it was high-speed chess like De La Hoya Mosley won, like Thurman Pacquiao, like, like these skilled fights that have action and intensity, but there's a lot of back and forth and adjustments where, no, it's not savage, it's not blood. But in some ways, it's the best of the sport. Do you buy into that a fight like Loma Channel versus Haney, which Loma Channel versus Haney, which had controversy at the end and had both fighters taking turns having big momentum shifts at the highest level? To me, that matters. What about you, Luke? I think you could add it to the list of nominees. I'd be okay with that. I certainly would be okay because the fact that the, the decision is disputed isn't really a comment on the fight itself. The fight itself is still quite good. Um, and I agree with your characterization of it. So I would be perfectly content with having it on the list of nominees. I would not be okay with that in this particular case being the fight of the year. Because I'm with you. Like, we always do this. We always just give it to the wild brawls, which I don't like either. I like carving out a space sure. um, for the more cerebral side. But for me, to get fight of the year, that cerebral side has to be accompanied by, at times, one fighter or both gathering momentum. Yeah. Uh, and this one, the guys had momentum a little bit, but it was a pitched battle through the course of 12 rounds. So. I wonder if Haney Lomachenko is going to be a similar argument for Mahachev Volkanovsky won very shortly Ooh. on the MMA side. We'll get to that. But first, let's go to MMA event of the year. Unfortunately, Luke, we can't do this in boxing because the undercards really aren't promoted to be on the same level. Although, shout out to a couple pay-per-view undercards in Showtime in its final calendar year really delivering across the board. But for MMA, this was a tough debate, all right? I'm going to tell you who did not win it but could have. How about UFC 290, July 8th in Las Vegas, International Fight Week? How about UFC 285, which was the John Jones return March 4th in Las Vegas? How about UFC 295? Those seem to be your three main sort of combatants in this topper uh, in this top of nominees here. UFC 285 was November at MSG. We didn't get, by the way, Jones versus Stipe, but what we got in its place 
was the momentum, was the knockouts, was one big fight after the other. Luke, those are the three we've identified as sort of our clutch key non uh, honorable mentions. If you had to pick one out of that group, who's the winner for MK event of the year in 2023? And why does it get a nod above the rest? I got to tell you, this one would be a surprise unless you double-checked. And, of course, we double-checked before today's broadcast, BC. So you, the ones you mentioned are all pretty good. I think 284 was the one that my gut reaction told me would be the winner. But 287 had some interesting moments along the way. 290, as you indicated, was also pretty great. 291 was the same day, oh, Salt Lake. remember, as, yeah. as Spence Crawford. 291 had a lot of great ones. But the answer for me for the, uh, the MK event of the year it's going to be UFC 285, and maybe that stands out to you. Maybe it doesn't. This, of course, was the return of John Jones, which was added a great degree of significance to this. And obviously, the fact that there was a title on the line as well created enormous significance. This is where John Jones became the heavyweight champion. Now, the fact that Gon folded as easily as he did, it does detract overall, I think, from this argument. We have to be honest about that. However, let me go through the card, if I may, BC. That was your main event, your co-main event was your submission of the year. It's Alexa Grasso defeating Valentina Shevchenko via rear naked choke in round four. That was your co-main. How about one of the ones that was on the list for submission of the year, Shavkat Rachmanov defeating yeah. Jeff Neal with a standing rear naked choke. Then you go to Mateusz Gamrot having a back and forth with Jalen Turner. Bo Nickel opened the card against Jamie Pickett. Cody Garbrandt had a win over Trevin Jones. Drickus Duplessis had that weird-ass fight, but a big victory over Derek Brunson. Amanda Hibas defeated Vivian Arujao. Uh, Marc-Andre Berriot defeated Julian Marquez. Ian Gary defeated Keenan Song. South African prospect Cameron Simon was on this card. Tabitha Ricci beat Jessica Penne on this card. One of the Basharat brothers, Farad Basharat, defeated Damon Blackshear, and so on and so on. BC, this was a very good card with big names who won in big contests. There's a lot to like about this one. I have to agree with you. I, at first, I had that same knee-jerk reaction when going through the voting of, oh, Jones gone? That wasn't that great. But it can be about the totality. The Jones moment was great. It's arguably the moment of the year across combat sports. So it certainly was. And like you said, you go top to bottom. You get. I think what makes a card the, the event of the year is – for me, the momentum, the momentum of seeing crazy early knockouts and upset, a big moment. Can that raise the level of intensity in the arena where you can feel it watching the broadcast at home and you begin to get caught up in it, maybe to some degree as the fighters are, where suddenly it feels like anything can happen. Those are the magical nights. I do stand by you upon after doing the research that 285 did hold up and that combination in succession, like you mentioned, the I mean, look, that Ra the Rachmanov-Neil fight wasn't just the, the big close-up referendum on Shavkat. It's a potential fight of the year and submission of the year contender that escalated beautifully into the fight of the year in the co-main event, right? And then you had, of course, John's moment. I do want to shout out one that could have won it, Luke, that I mentioned earlier, and that's 290, which was International Fight Week. I don't yes. know if you remember this. Do you remember when Volkanovski handled Yair? Remember Volkanovski Yair on paper? was the fight I was most excited for last this this year. Like the fight that I remember, you know, that was booked, that you can see it coming a mile away, thinking, man, this is the one. That fight was a disappointment. And I remember thinking in our post-fight show, because we recorded that, that was July 8th. You and I were in Atlantic City calling the undercard of a Boots Ennis fight. We went back to the hotel to do our pay-per-view coverage, did a, did a post-show from there. 
But we were able to see that that fight had that momentum I'm talking about from Robbie Lawler's retirement in the preliminary featured bout through Bo Nichols walkthrough, through Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner being a thriller, DDP upsetting Robert Whitaker. Then suddenly you get the fight of the year with Pantoja Moreno, which I just described to the card we were mentoring at 285. I was wrong. Pantoja Moreno was on this card. And then you get Volkanovsky doing that to Yair in the main event, that it was that succession of, of escalation where the excitement just kept building. But Luke, we said the Salt Lake card that had Poirier, Gaethje 2 could have been up there. How about UFC 296 or uh, 294, which was, uh, or 295, whichever was the MSG one. They closed the year very strong. And I want to give UFC that credit because I even wrote that column kind of trashing the UFC for not replacing the star power of Jones versus Stipe Yet that Madison Square Garden card like lived up to it and then some. And 296 was as fun a top-to-bottom pay-per-view card as I've experienced in a while. When you've got four or five cards like we do in this debate where it is hard to separate one from the other, I guess that does speak to, at least on the highest end, this was a great year for MMA watching and being a UFC fan, no question. Yeah, it certainly was. I, I would just add a couple... There is one thing that doesn't make the Jones gone card stand out, BC, which is John's win was felt a little bit lackluster in the end. The return was big, but the fight itself just kind of was very anticlimactic. And what Grasso did against Shevchenko was important, but it was not a big fight to sell at the box office, right? These are not massive pay-per-view draws. Rachmanov versus Neil... I think we'll have it had some significance, obviously, as welterweight contenders and rock people with all eyes are on Rachmanov as a, as among hardcore observers. But that's really about it. Casual fans don't know who he is yet, so they didn't have that. Bo Nickel ran over Jamie Pickett, and there were some folks who thought he cheated. And then Mateusz Gamrot and Jalen Turner had a bit of a um, I won't say ho hum affair. I don't think that's fair, but it did go to a decision. It was you know there was a lot of wrestling involved and anti wrestling, and so it didn't have the celebrity. It didn't have the size. It didn't have the you know. Did 284 have bigger fights? I think it did. I think it had overall bigger fights. Not John, but the rest of them it did. But the actual quality you got in the end with the uh, with the a full um, year significance, again, having two of those fights, three of those fights being submission of the year reps uh, kind sure. of makes it a, a no-brainer. And I want to give the unique nature of 295, that Madison Square Garden card I mentioned in November, when you consider the five-bout main card were all knockouts all two rounds or less. You had Diego Lopez with a breakthrough performance against Sabatini, Benoit Saint-Denis against Frivola, Andrade versus Dern, Mackenzie Dern, which had a lot of sort of, you know, emotional breakthrough moments of finding Dern falling apart. And then you get Aspinall knocking out Pavlovich in a minute and nine seconds and Pereira becoming a two-division champion. Again, hell of a year for UFC. That card also over-delivered. MMA fight of the year for 2023. I think we got an interesting debate coming here, Luke Thomas. And I think the biggest debate is what you do with Mahachev versus Volkanovsky one at UFC 284, one versus two pound for pound. It gave us five rounds of back and forth momentum. Don't forget, Mahachev was on the bottom of full mount and getting pieced up and bloodied in the final round. There was the back and forth, the Craig Jones fueled escalation of Volkanovsky's wrestling game. And at the end, you had undoubtedly the two best fighters facing off. We got somewhat of a disputed winner, and the debate only continued from there. Luke, this is not our fight of the year for 2023. Could it have been, though? What's holding it back, Luke Thomas? Wait. 
are we going with my call on this one we have you have you relented i have relented luke thomas okay i have given in and relented okay so here's the deal for me and i can't i cannot speak for everyone bc i can only address this from my perspective if you disagree then you disagree i'm not sure what to say makachev volkanovsky as your MMA fight of the year at UFC 284, obviously at a bare minimum has to be on your top three considerations, right? We're not talking about something that is far outside the boundaries of consideration. It's right there in the thick of it. But the reason I can't ultimately give it that is because I didn't think it was nearly as much of a pitched battle as everyone else did. To me, from that night, I respect what Volkanovsky was able to turn in, particularly in that fifth round where it had seemed at the time Makachev had really gassed. I respect that he did this in front of his hometown crowd and used their enthusiasm to really deliver a very emphatic performance, even in a losing case, right? He really looked like he gave it his all. He had the respect of the audience. He had the respect of his foe. He was coming up a weight class. There's a lot to admire there. But I thought Makachev won that one four rounds to one at worst, at worst, if you're being generous, three to two. I did not think it was all that close. And so while I respect what kind of fight it was, and I have great respect for what Volkanovsky ultimately turned in BC, it's not the same to me as like we asked, could Lomachenko and Haney be on that card? To me, that was much more back and forth, right? To the point where there's lots of people who think Haney lost that contest. And there are people who thought Makachev lost. These are donks. Okay, These are donks. Just but a reminder. Me and a lot of people, I, I do the rankings for CBS Sports for pound for pound, kept Volkanovski fought so well, we kept him at number one, even though he lost. I can't remember. Yeah, that that's happened. crazy. Exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, Makachev beat him cleanly in my mind. And then you saw what happened in the rematch again. I don't think that was in any way a great call for Volkanovski to have taken the fight under the circumstances that he did, but whatever. It's been the past now. I just don't think there's much of a rivalry here. I didn't think there was much of a rivalry after the first time they fought. I don't think that now. And so for that reason, if you're going to go the pitched back and forth battle, this is to me insufficiently back and forth to be part of that designation. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I love the skill level. I love a lot of what I saw. But Luke, it doesn't get the nod. So for 2023, what is our MMA fight of the year? Now, BC and I have been pretty clear about this, or at least maybe we are completely contradicting ourselves. It depends on your perspective. We don't necessarily like giving it to the brawls. They have to have more than just being a brawl. Like, I remember when people really enjoyed the fight between Brian Stand and Vanderlei Silva. I enjoyed it too, but I did not think that it deserved to be a fight of the year for the winner, uh, in, uh, a fight of the year for that bout in the, in the year took place, which I think was 2014 or so. But for this year, we're going to go a little bit more on the brawling side. Give me UFC 290's Pantoja Moreno 3, technically, or whatever you want to call it. But the one in which Pantoja beat Moreno to win the title again, UFC 290. This, of course, BC, was the fight that afterwards Joe Rogan is interviewing Pantoja. And then Pantoja looks at the camera and says, are you proud of me, Dad? BC... I am the guy who typically can't stand it when award shows just give it to the brawl. So let me explain what appears to be grotesque hypocrisy, if I may, as quickly as I can. It's actually quite simple. There was a lot more to this than just brawling. Now, to be clear, there was a lot of brawling, of just standing ground and, and just throwing punches and absorbing them in the least defensively responsible kind of ways. But there was a lot to this fight that was more than that. And this was one of those fights that was so brutal we didn't know if the guys were going to be the same afterwards. We'll see what happens with Moreno when he fights Amir Albazi. It looked like Pantoja was okay against Raw Dog, but 
Again, it was such a vicious contest in terms of the toll on both competitors. And I do think in the technical application, especially on the ground, there was a lot to really enjoy that did not make this a pure brawl. And then I want to say one more thing. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes! Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast when a fighter has this experience you often hear them talk about how it can be like a religious experience to be in one of these things or the euphoria of it um, is so crazy after a fight i had someone who covered collegiate wrestling tell me something that's really kind of stuck with me all these years and he said, look at what happens at the end of a wrestling match, which can be very short, right? Look at what happens at the end of it. They can barely shake hands. But fighters don't do that. Fighters, when a fight is over, sometimes there's bad blood, but a lot of times they embrace and they hug and they, you know, they talk very fondly about each other because this is such a spiritual experience to go to the depths of what you're made of with this other person in this very unrestrained environment. It's very, very unusual in this case violent environment and out of that pulled from him this moment he has where some kind of childhood trauma that he had been carrying with him it came to the surface and he almost cried in the moment in which he was talking about it guys you can't get to the depth of a person like that without a very extraordinary event to pull it out of him and so for that reasons just forgetting if you had never even seen the post fight you seen you only saw the fight i still think it wins the contest 
But when it does that to the people involved, you can't yeah. look the other way. Give me Moreno and Pantoja I mean, for the fight of the year. Th- this had a lot, and I understand it, it edging out the, the the high skill level of what I loved of Machev Volkanovski and the fact that it was so tense if sort of like, who's going to get the nod? Is Volkanovski going to be a two-division champion? This is crazy. But what Pantoja Moreno 3, if you want to count their prior history, which includes the ultimate fighter, had was it did have a title at stake in a crazy division. It did have five insane rounds and feeling like either guy can win. But it did have that savageness of the brawl. I mean, they were just dropping their hands and just enduring whatever. Like it became a fatigue brawl, meaning like they're just they got nothing left throwing arm punches, just eating every punch. Like you said, we don't always want to reward that, especially if it's not at the highest level. But it played into the storyline so well and the hunger of Pantoja to finally have his moment and sort of justify his career. And you had in the connection to his father and Moreno trying to hold on and be this new face of the division after this wild four fight series with uh, with Figueredo. Yeah, it really kind of had all of that. I'm more than okay with this getting the nod edging out Mahacha Volkanovsky, a just an incredible fight and incredible performance. Uh, when we quickly round up the others, Luke, that Irene Aldana, Carol Hosa fight from just a few weeks ago at UFC 296 was the kind of three round blood brawl that you just don't see on the female level. And it kind of mattered too for positioning in of course, in terms of creating new title contenders in that Baron division. I want to shout out that Luke, do you remember this PFL fight between Brandon Jenkins and Zach Jusola that is getting a lot of post uh, end of the year nods? I don't remember it. Do you know it? No. No. All right. Well, I'm sure it was great. I do remember. How can it? It would have to be one of the most extraordinary things you've ever seen because the stakes are inherently sure far less sure. than anything else. So it would have to win in the other for us to give it to the award. It would have to win in like the other ways and like vast overperformance. It's not really possible. All right. I'll read you a couple more fights. You just tell me yes or no if they have an argument for this award. Ready? Okay. Uh, Rafael Fazib losing to Justin Gaethje at UFC 286. Yes. Neil Rachmanoff in that absolute war at 285. Yeah, I mean, I would put it on the list. I, it wouldn't win, but yes. Okay, what about, this is interesting because it was one-sided. Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira at UFC 283. You don't put one-sided fights in your fight of the year unless maybe it's this batshit crazy and savage, right? It was batshit crazy. Again, one of the ones that you do you should have crazy ones on your list. The crazy ones shouldn't win out unless it's very special, rare circumstances, which, which I think this one qualifies for Moreno and Pantoja. But Hill and Teixeira would not. No. All right. Uh, two others. Kelvin Gastelum, Chris Curtis, underrated one from 287. No. You, no? no. And no. Edson Barbosa, Sadiq Youssef, you're not winning for that one either. Um, okay. that was a that was that's a great win for Barbosa, and it's a great fight. I don't know if it's a contender for fight of the year. That seems all right. Hooker and Turner on this list, along with uh, uh, Yair versus Josh Emmett, was also a very good. Dude, fight I got to tell you, Bellator. not a memorable year from Bellator, right? Yeah, not not, not, not a memorable not year, of, dude. Uh, I mean, just like, we be, be serious about this. How many times did you watch a Bellator event and the audience was booing the main event? I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was frequent. It was. If frequent. it wasn't a stick kick, Luke, it was a. It was a early booing. Was, was put a lot of those main events in trouble. Just lots of booing here. about all the shit they were doing. Patchy Mix stands out, right? Obviously, he had a great year. Um, Vadim Nemkov getting uh, the win over Corey Anderson that was big. There was, but there were some other big moments as well. But 
Jeez, and Sergio Pettis beating Patricio Pitbull was a big one. Absolutely, um, and, and you know hell, some man. really nice uh, the breakout win of Jason Jackson against Yaroslav Amoslav to close off the year was yes, fantastic. Well. Yes, but uh, this but is no, a handful of I mean, events look, for a full calendar year. Yeah, and we didn't get the completion of that lightweight Grand Prix, and Usman Nurmagomedov popped dirty, so it just that that portion of it just didn't ring uh, the way we would have hoped and wanted it. But Luke, that's a perfect transition here into just that MMA fighter of the year. We have an award for male. We have an award for female. So when we look at female, is it a clear cut race or do you think there's a handful of names that could get this? And maybe it's, it's, it's tough because Amanda Nunes had a great win over Irene Aldana and walked off in one of the greatest retirements in terms of exits we've seen, but that's one win in one calendar year. Chris Cyborg continued to survive in advance. Liz Carmouche had a nice, speaking of Bellator, sort of comeback year, winning the title, defending it. But Luke, they don't all get the nod when we look at the one that we've identified. And that's Alexa Grasso, Luke. It's not only a compelling compelling year from her, but I think there's a gap here between her and everybody else when we're really looking at this award. It, I think it has to be her. I mean, this was to me a bit of an interesting year in women's MMA where I think like this win and her, and you know, might be, you might be saying, well, you didn't give it to Haney cause it was contested. Wasn't this a contested thing uh, that she had in the rematch with Shevchenko or Shevchenko? Yes. It, th- there was extreme contestment, but th- this is the issue with women's MMA in 2023, which is BC. Now maybe I'm wrong about this. And if I am, please understand, I'm not trying to do some stupid argument. Like, the worst thing that, like, not the worst thing, but dumb dudes love to show up and be like, hey, did you see the WNBA highlights? They weren't that great. <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure what point you're trying to prove here that we don't, not, what the fuck are we doing? I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to replicate that. However, I do want to be honest about something that I feel like I've observed. Tell me if I'm crazy. This was not the best year for achievement on the women's side of the game in MMA. For that reason, Shevchenko loses to Grasso. Grasso, high note, tries to replicate it and can't, right? Or does it in a very disputed way. Amanda Nunes gets revenge. That's something, but now she's gone. Uh, Zhang Wiley got a nice win over Amanda Lamos, but she only fought one time. I'm not here to tell you that the women didn't do great things this year, but were there three or four candidates this year that had real breakout years, I would argue not. However, what I would say is, BC, look at, for example, two fighters who got two wins this year who I think had good years and I think are probably poised to have great years next year. Tatiana Suarez had two wins. Aaron Blanchfield had two very good wins. Can I pause you there? Because I did want to bring up Aaron Blanchfield and just say this. You're right. At the top end, we don't have enough to really rival what um, Grasso did, and Grasso has a draw that she probably should have lost if there wasn't that 10-8 scorecard, so it's another topic. But can Blanchfield be in true contention when she submitted Jessica Andrade in the second round and then really rolled over a top-class competitor in Tyler Santos? Is that enough to like literally put her head-to-head with, or is it because there's no championship at stake? I, you have I, to I think it. there's an argument for it, to be honest with you. It's not the one that... The win over Shevchenko for Grasso was so nice. Grasso was so nice that it's like, man, that's like up there with any, that win is up there with any of the best wins of the year. I do believe that male or female, like that is such a nice win. So for that reason, I'm kind of inclined to lean that way. But I would say if someone has Blanchfield on their list, I understand that completely given the way that the rest of the year went. And by the way, 
Don't forget, Jessica Andrade fought five times this year. I think she ended up winning two or three of them in the end, uh, but she had a rough year too. This is my point. It's like the big names, uh, Mackenzie Dern had a nice win over Angela Hill and then kind of petered out towards the end. This is, You see what I'm saying? Like there were great, really great moments, but I think that Blanchfield is going to have a really strong 2024. I think Tatiana Suarez is going to have a really strong 2024. There just wasn't a lot happening on the women's side and, and, uh, relative to years past, in my opinion. What do All you right, think? There's one name that we don't have here. We both voted for Grasso. We've looked across the global landscape. And again, nice year for Chris Cyborg. I mentioned Carmouche. But Luke, what about PFL's Larissa Pacheco, who scored four victories this calendar year, moved yeah. down to 145, won the PFL championship, took a decision from Julia Budd, stopped Amber Librock in the first round with punches, stopped Olena Kolesnik in the first round with punches, and then you know in the championship, we should call an audible over here. Over we Marina should call an audible here. Macantina. So, Luke, we're talking about Grasso winning with a breakthrough victory over Legend and a draw that she maybe should have lost in a very big spot. Yes. We're talking about four wins, a million dollars. Yeah, you know what? That's such a great argument, BC. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I formally issue a retraction. I think it should be Larissa Pacheco, uh, especially because you could say, well, what about the stakes? But the stakes for her, given who else is available in the sport in those weight classes, that is about as good as it's going to be. Just get, Not totally because she didn't fight Kayla or Cyborg, but you get the idea. Uh, yeah, it's her. It's Pacheco. Yeah, give it to her. Wow, in moment, in the moment, audible, but I like it. And here I'm going, you know, I think it's Grasso, and I just don't think anyone's close. I want to respect everything Grasso has said. I don't want to miss what Pacheco did. But even with that draw for Grasso, man, to, to raise your brand to that level, to raise your game. I mean, that's the key about that Grasso submission over uh, Shevchenko. It's that she raised her game to a level that I didn't think yes. in that moment was possible. I Same. didn't think it was possible for her to quickly take the back and get the tap just like that. But I will say again, we talk, we talk, we talk performance of the year, Izzy, Bud, on the women's side, the performance of the year, it's got to be that one, right? It's got to be that one. But Pacheco's got four wins, a million dollars, a season yes. championship, and is coming off of an upset of, of Kayla Harrison, a division up the year before. So that's your debate. That's your vote. It's going to go to Larissa Pacheco of the PFL. The smart cage knew it all along. Luke, on the men's side, though, I think we've got one hell of a debate. These are the nominees that we have deemed are in this conversation for male MMA fighter of the year. Islam Mahachev, your UFC lightweight champion, with two wins over best in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky, including one by head kick KO. Patchy Mix winning a million dollars and the Bellator championship and beating world-class opponents to do that and having monster breakout year. Sean Strickland scores three victories, including a major five-round audit of Israel Adesanya that I still don't know how that was possible. And Luke, Alex Pereira, three performances, one loss, right? right In the knockout of the year he lost, but moves up in weight, beats two legends or, or two you know elite former champions, and is now the champion in another weight division. That's four compelling arguments, and I didn't even mention John Jones or Leon Edwards, who defeated Usman and Covington in the same calendar year, or even Tom Aspinall, who had an equally breakout year. 
Somebody's got to get the nod for 2023, Luke. Who's the male MMA fighter of the year? This is debatable. This is very debatable, and we're just going to we're going to do our best to judge on the value of achievement. BC and I disagree a little bit with this one. While I value, uh, I mean, everyone on that list had great wins. Um, I'm going to give it to Sean Strickland personally. Now, BC and I disagree on this, and we're going to have it out here in just a bit. My reasoning is, one, BC, he fought three times. Now, granted, the full repertoire of difficulty there is only really peaked at the very end, okay, with the Izzy fight. But it was a historic upset that certainly you or I gave him virtually no shot. I know I gave him no shot in hell. And he goes and does it, as we indicated previously, off of what looked to be the biggest and best moment of Izzy's career. Did it uh, basically, I won't call it neutral territory, but he, he had to fly to Australia. And, you know, Izzy's from New Zealand, so there's something to be said, although he pulled the crowd in his favor, it seems like, weirdly. But the point I wanted to make was the nature of that upset was so big, so hard to see coming, so thorough, right? I mean, he he not only beat him over the course of five rounds, he rocked him and dropped him. You know, just things you could never imagine him doing. It's a level of performance. Talk about performances. I can't give it to him over Izzy beating Pereira because he knocked him out, and that's so much more authoritative. But short of that, it's probably number two in terms of the best performances um, all year, maybe ahead of what Grasso was able to do. The point is, the fact that he fought three times, to me, carries a little bit of value. The fact that he beat Izzy carries tremendous value. The fact that he did it in the way that yeah. he did it, while being totally counted so out, much. flying to Australia. Yeah, the so leveling much. up is extraordinary. You got to give it to him. Whether you like him or not, you got to give it to him. All right, Luke, this is the only time today that we're not handing out one award. We are handing out two awards, a co-winner for MMA Male Fighter of the Year for Morning Combat. Luke Thomas is going with Sean Strickland. As you mentioned, the three victories are hard to come by. So is the leveling up against Adesanya. But Islam Mahachev, if I can say that correctly, Islam Mahachev, I just think is getting so disrespected across the board in this exact voting. I'm identifying that there's tough choices. Patchy Mix could win the whole thing. He knocked out Rafian Stotts in the first round to win a million dollars and then beat Sergio Pettis by second round submission to unify those titles. But look, I'm going to go Mahachev. Why? Because he fought a blown up featherweight twice and beat him twice? No, because he fought the best fighter in the world two times in the same calendar year. The first fight was so close, even though you upon multiple rewatches have it four to one. I actually have a four to one too upon rewatch, but I'm not going to deny both in the moment and the public reaction afterwards felt that Volkanovsky might have won that fight. So they've stumbled into a second chance on short notice, which while we can talk about how much maybe the short notice choice by Volkanovsky was bad in hindsight, although I think I can argue he knew that was his only chance really to get that fight was to do it right then short notice, be the hero. He took it. That's also short notice for Mahachev. And yet he goes in there against the, 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 you know, the biggest brain, the biggest IQ in this game and head kick KOs him to shut everybody up and close this year with no debate in the pound for pound rankings of who's number one. To me, the quality of wins do matter. It's why you can argue for Terrence Crawford off of one win. It's why, you know, it, 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 it matters, the quality of wins. And when he beat a guy in, in, in Volkanovski the first time, Yet people like me still had Volk at number one pound for pound because of how much he raised his game in that performance, showed that he could wrestle on decent terms and not get exposed there. And then he had to go do it a second time. 
we rarely ever see one versus two in this game. We saw it twice. We know who the better fighter is. I don't want to hear anybody say, oh, he was a featherweight moving up. Yeah, that featherweight almost won the championship in the first fight, all right? That featherweight is a generational all-time talent. I know there's a customer fatigue element mixed in here, and I know that Islam didn't have either victory with the same level of passion of Sean Strickland pulling that upset or Grasso beating Shevchenko or any of these other people that are in their own debate for fighter of the year. But he did what Mahachev does. He put his head down, handled his business, and moved on. He beat the best fighter in the world twice and head kick KO'd him in the second time around. I can't look past that. He's the best fighter in the world, Islam Mahachev, in my opinion right now. And all he did this year was prove that. Exactly. He gets my nod, which creates a co-vote. So congratulations to Sean Strickland and Islam Mahachev as our co MMA male fighter of the year. Luke, staying in this category, because I think there are interesting debates. Um, why can't Patchy Mix get it done? What else would have he had to do? Is it only like, look, I'm sorry, you weren't in the UFC. Is that really what we're going to tell him at the end of the day? Because he beat UFC level guys in Stotts and Pettis without question. Um... I mean, again, Strickland beat a pound-for-pound guy, right? Strickland beat a pound-for-pound guy and shut him out and dropped him. Uh, didn't stop him, but did everything else, basically. That is so big that as good as Patchy Mix was, man, and those wins are credible, I don't think he did that. Now, again, he did well in ways where, like, you know, what is the Abus Magomedov value? Like, Patchy Mix beating... Patricio is leagues above that, or not Patricio, I'm sorry, um, uh, Sergio is leagues above that, or, you know, pick who else who he beat in the tournament. Again, the knockout of Stotts is fucking insane. But Strickland beat a pound-for-pound guy for a UFC title. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My days working and taking care of my little ones can be a lot. I checked out care.com and it was so easy for me to find local, experienced, and background check sitters. Finding our babysitter was way more affordable than I thought. Care.com makes it super easy 
search for qualified candidates. You can view their profiles, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, send messages directly, get the help that you need. Care.com should be every person's go-to. All the way in Australia. That's so big, man. That's really hard for me to look the other way. It just is, it's just as enormous. Those other wins aren't great, though. They're not great, those other wins. They're, not, the, they're not great. They're not great. They're not great. They don't add a lot to the resume. It, again, I think there is, as I mentioned previously in the show, I think there is something to be said for consistency, but to that point, consistency against B-level guys doesn't say much. But then the win over Izzy was fucking enormous. Um, yeah, it's tough to overlook that. It is All for right. me. And I think there's, but I recognize See, I that have... like in any other year, in any other year, I would have given it to Islam. Like I get that Islam is deserving of this award too. And maybe this is the same debate we had at the end with Grasso and Pacheco from this standpoint, that even though Grasso's one singular win was arguably the biggest of the year of any sport, any gender, she did have a draw on the second one. And, you know, you could argue upon closer look that she probably should have lost it. What do we do with Alex Pereira in the same debate on the men's side? Because I actually had him one spot, I think, higher than Strickland in my final voting. And let's recap his year. He gets knocked out by Adesanya in April, comes back in July to take a split decision from Jan Blachowicz in his debut at 205, and then stops Yuri Prohatska coming off of a long layoff and injury in round two to win the championship in a second weight class. What would you tell him at the end of the day, Luke? Sorry, thanks for playing. I mean, you had that loss, and that's the he got that viciously the KO'd to start the year. That doesn't make him completely ineligible, but the other two wins are nice, and in particular, winning that title is also nice. But again, it was against a guy who hadn't fought in a long time at a, in a weak division. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I don't think that's on par. It, again, right, I don't want remind yourself, dude. What, about... Remind yourself, Izzy is a when 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 Strickland beat him was a top ten and maybe even top five pound for pound guy like it's very different what he did i'll give you that i'll give you that um i just i wonder you know it's like i see people floating votes for leon great year for leon beat a newsman in their trilogy and we weren't sure how that would go and then beat covington but even if it's not his fault luke or you know i've argued that maybe it is his fault I, he's not going to get a lot of love for the covington covington win because of the way colby fought and that does matter into it in some degree right and the usman win i know people are unnecessarily trying to downgrade that as you beat an old guy. Look at what happened when he moved up and lost his next fight too. But I want to give him respect. He's on the tail end of the ballot, but he can't win it with those two wins is really what I'm trying to say. For I agree with every word. Great year. Fantastic year. But no, not, not the winner. Here we go. Fantastic year for the top performers on the men's side, for especially a lot of debate there, but it's going to go as a tie. We have two more awards to get through, Luke. Both of them MK-related. I'll hold the donks for the end because that's the big one here. But let's talk about MK moment of the year. We have talked a lot about the ups and downs of this year. The ups and downs for us personally. The ups and downs for our parent companies technologically, budget-wise. Uh, look, Showtime, unfortunately, sports has folded after 37 incredible years. And that's not a, a, a you know um, a representative of the performance of this calendar year. But Luke, MK in 2023 did, though, provide some really big ticket moments. I want to shout out when you and I, for Crawford Spence, hosted that show on CBS Sports Network from the studio in Stanford that aired live on regular TV for two hours. I want to certainly shout out the incredible Room Service Diaries interviews we did, including that great trip we had in South Florida where we caught up with Phil DeRue, John Anik, Rashad Evans. I mean, we did have some very good moments in this year. We were on the front lines. 
hosting for some of the biggest boxing events from Tank Garcia to Spence Crawford through uh, Canelo versus Charlo. But this could have fallen in any calendar year for MK that was good or bad. The London show was just a different entity altogether. That's your 2023 MK moment of the year. Luke Thomas, how would you sum up what the hell that trip, that night at King's Place when we headlined a 500-seat podcast festival in their main event and sold every single ticket? You've been in this game a long time. What the hell did London mean to you and your journey up to this point? I mean, I guess in retrospect, it was the high watermark of uh, the year. It happened in February, <laughs> which kind of sucked for us. I mean, this year it was, I mean, everyone took it differently. And you guys still don't even know half the story because we've only told basically half the story. But this was a terrible year for me personally. Um, and I aged a thousand years. It was like dog years for me to live through this. And it has just been not easy just is really really quite difficult to 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 be perfectly honest with you but it started out as bc indicated with incredible promise and that trip in london i've said it before man like this is really the truth of anybody who is ever going to try and make it in media I, media i don't know what the future is of the entire industry to be honest with you it seems uncertain at best but all you really need in this life if you're lucky enough to get it, it sounds simple and it is difficult or i should say easy not simple or sorry, excuse me, simple, not easy. But all you really need is you just need a couple of people to have your back. You know, a couple of people to believe in you, a couple of people along the way who give you a little bit of a push. And certainly I'm insanely grateful to the fans that showed up that day who who made that event possible, the fans who watch MK who made the going to London possible. Um, but the fact is you have to convince people to give you that platform in the first place. And we convinced a couple of people along the way, BC. Um, I'm just insanely grateful that I was able to get a couple of people, whatever happens from here on out, I was able to get a couple of people who believed in our vision and what our project was and what we wanted to do and put us in a place to be able to go and execute on that. And it reaped rewards that, you know, were not ever in my imagination for what we would get out of this business once we got into it. Um, it was profound for me, the London. It was yeah. special. It was a night I'll never forget. It was a moment I'll never forget. And to it's me, the biggest it all moment comes... of my career, Luke. It's yeah. the big, damn near biggest moment of my entire career. And that does, you know, that that means something. That means something huge. I mean, dude, five hundred people in a play in a city I'd never even been in, in a in a continent I've never been in. 500 people bought tickets to come see us tell stupid jokes and have a fantastic interview with the great Dan Hardy. And, and, you know, we did our routines and our bits and we spun the wheel and we, we, we tried to find out if Eric Nixick has a big uh, Corey Luke, but he had the fun and game shenanigans, but like that mixes to me, which is why, I why you and I have been pushing behind the speeds to get that final documentary actually edited and, and published and produced because Dude, the Paquettes came over from Nova Scotia. Appy came over from France. I mean, people turned out for this. They gave us our flowers. They gave me vinyl. They gave us red wine that you tossed in the trash loop. They gave us their love, their time. I mean, it was it was special, man. It was really special. And you know what it felt like in that moment? And I'm happy that we're here after the storm to tell you that 2024 is going to be the biggest year in MK history. And we believe that, by the way. But to have that moment, it, it just reminded me of like, 
in London of like what's possible in our lives and careers. You know, like it opened up like to see Showtime jump at that opportunity, sent our entire team, you know, Brian Daly, Matt Snyder, Courtney Mag. Like we really had it just it was so, so, so special to have them back us like that. And then we are only in that moment, in that spot, because the fans voted for us to win those awards. And then that same award company, the sports podcast group, starts this festival and asks, asks us to headline it. I mean, like it, it was timing. It was everything, but everything came through. And, you know, maybe Luke, maybe we, we figured out effing around there that that's a model we can sustain in the future. You know, like maybe we figured a few things out, but I am happy that it came in, in a rough year to remind us of, of who we are, what we're capable of and what's still possible for this brand to grow. And you know what? We need everybody. We need our listeners. We need the people that have our back. You know, Mikey Mormont producing great people at, at Showtime that we work with great people at CBS. We've needed all of this, but it might be just you and me, two middle aged dads talking to a camera. But that trip, right, that trip showed me that uh, you can do big things in this in this setup, Luke. It's, it was it was an incredible moment to 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 be there. You know, we've been on TV. We've done some shit. We've done some fun shit. We've interviewed our heroes. Dude, I sat once in the basement of ESPN with Sugar Ray Leonard for a half hour, just asking him to tell me stories about the biggest fights I watched as a kid. Like those are the moments you'll never forget. I'll never forget what it felt to walk out in front of that many people in London to have, uh, to have Dan Hardy, his beautiful wife and his buddy Saul in the locker room, handing out, uh, handing out, <laughs> handing out, uh, air sealed packages of, uh, of incredible gummies to us. Luke. I mean, it was just like, it was special, right? It was, it was a great Can day. Can we mention who it that guy Saul day. is? Luke, that guy's a legend. That guy's yeah. a legend. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a real OG and it was a great day. That was a great day in our lives, man. It really was great day. We loved it. Thank you to everybody. The Paquettes included who came out Appy, who made that special. We hope to get that documentary out eventually and like we said next year we're gonna bang Tui. so let's go let's go let's go what a great year we can't have though these great episodes these years these moments without the donks every single week you guys give us fan subs hit us up on dead wrong like and subscribe to what we do vote for us for awards show up at 3 a.m to hear our instant analysis all that right it's you guys that's why I love making this side scam living I do off of cameo.com slash Brian Campbell because I love connecting with the people. So, Luke, we have had now for four years running our Donk of the Year Award, which recognizes for that calendar year our most passionate, creative, memorable, and consistent fan across the board who have helped add to what we do here, have been a big part of it. The only issue before we announce the winner, Luke, is what the hell is going on with this? Okay, we named the great Christophoros, Christos Christophoros web scream, our donk of the year. And I think he stopped watching the show afterwards. Year two, we named Damien the donk from Stockton, our donk of the year. And I don't know if he's dead, incarcerated, or he hates us. And then we named a tie between Appy and Jay Paquette. And then they ended up having a big war against each other for the whole year. Is it us or is it them, Luke? What are we doing wrong here? Yeah, it's them. All right. So with that said, um, first, here are your honorable mentions. Easiest question to answer in the world. Hey, is it the uh, weirdo listeners of two weirdo dads or is it the two weirdo dads? No, no. We're weird guys. I mean, please make no mistake. Uh, and also losers. But at the same time, if you listen to us, that makes you another degree of weird. So there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, here are the five 
honorable mentions. And by the way, speaking of our great fans, uh, Jordan Cash Hendricks and his wife are in the hospital with their young son uh, in, in, in the NICU. I've been there. They're fighting the good fight. They're going to get through this. You got our prayers and love behind you, folks. Uh, look, we're all we're all going through this life together. So shout out to our donks top to bottom. We love you all, even if you're in an RV with Bill and Jen in Pennsylvania. Let's go to the donk of the year. These are honorable mentions who didn't get the cut. Some big names here, Luke, okay? Alan W., a finalist last year, great fan sub guy. David Appleton didn't even make didn't even make the finalists, right? Chef Cass, shout out Luke, nutritionist to the stars, Chef Cass, right? <laughs> Jay Paquette, who had a nice comeback after seeing us in London with his lovely wife, the boss lady. And two from Hawaii. Shout out to Telvin Kipapa, who's always there for us. And this new guy, Daz. Mahalo out to yeah, you. Yeah, back up on that ass and give these motherfuckers a blast from the past. Well, your top five nominees for Donk of the Year read like this in no particular order. Here we go. The Real Saul. Two Changs, a.k.a. South Oregon Bird. Average Joe Art. Long Island Rob. Yeah, we see you with a video attack this year. And KY, Luke, again, not the jelly. But this man not only contributed to a ton of fan subs this year, but he beat us both in OK Bet, and he went the not distance posting his posting yeah. his picks every single week, along with the updated scoreboard. Uh, we're not missing anybody, right? Because remember that time I missed uh, Danger Mouse, and then he didn't come to our live show, and now he hates us. We have this ability to turn people away. You know, uh, you know what KY told me. This is a fully true story. He told me his friends call him Astro God. That's what they told me. <laughs> I don't believe that one bit. Are you, are you serious? No, you're, no of course you're I'm not serious. All right, all right. And your winner for 2023 Donk of the Year, the fourth, I guess fifth if you count the, or maybe it's fourth. I don't do the math. The winner for Donk of the Year, Morning Combat, Average Joe Art. Luke Thomas, this guy is half man, half amazing, and apparently half MK employee now. But if you had to answer the question, why? Why average Joe Art in 2023? What's your answer? It's a great question. I would say certainly he was involved. Uh, just very noticeable, very visible, always being a part of the shows and everything else. But helping us forge a line of merch that you could tell spoke to our personalities. That meant he understood the show. And dude... Average Joe Art basically, I mean, did he do a great job with the shirts? My daughter loves them. Like, so yes, of course he did. But like, this is what MK is honestly about. It's a community of misfits and people who've got, this guy is weird, but he's got this crazy talent. And this person has this thing and they do that one. And this guy can, and it's all sort of put together and we're able to source the community to help us show better things and have better moments and in this particular case, sell better merch, but you know, merch that speaks to our personality to like do more authentic work. Actually, when you really think of it in that way, he helped us do that kind of a thing that it, 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 that's what we're looking for. Not helping us all the time. I don't mean that BC, but I'm just saying being reminded of the talent that the community has, and then having that reflected in something that really speaks to us personally. I don't know. It just all seemed to work for average Joe art this year. It's exactly the kind of thing yeah. I'm looking for. It was just, it all made sense. It really did. Well, he he not only started the year just assaulting us with some of the best fan subs we've ever seen, but that escalated to the level, as Luke mentioned, where it was, hey, 
maybe these are the best t-shirt designs we have available to us at the moment. Let's get them hooked up with RJ Dunkel gangbang. And I'm, I'm really proud of what they've created together with that crossover art collection. Now you see average Joe art spinning off, doing merch for Arnold Allen, doing merch for uh, uh, Johnny Eblen, Anakin Florian, and a bunch of other very high profile shows. And yeah, he's whoring it up. Uh, he's whore. He's a big old whore. Is, but, <laughs> But a great guy. Uh, shout out yeah, to the course. loss of his fantastic dog, Brutus. We, we we showed pictures of him in the past. But uh, just a, an animal lover, uh, a man lover. And, okay, maybe a people lover. Okay, I didn't mean to, to put him in that you know weirdness there. But uh, thank you, Average Joe Art, for your contributions. And thanks to everybody. Two Changs had a huge year. He came on late. Appy and Jay Paquette were big parts of this. We had a memorable feud between them. Two Changs had the missing... smart fence. That was... That was a good that bit. Was, that was big. That was big. And Saul, man, he's there every single day. Every yeah, episode, just torturing his significant other with our dumbass shit. Just a rock. Uh, we love all you folks so much. You are what makes this show go around. And Mikey Mormile, CBS Sports, to close our year, Luke, also been a rock for us in so many ways behind the yep. scenes, uh, helping out. We, we lost Showtime, but we still got Mikey. We still got CBS Sports. And uh, we thank you to everybody who works on this show, all the people from Showtime and Malka that had been big parts of this throughout the years, Luke, that their time is now come, uh, is now done. And we appreciate that. It's, it's you know, we can go back to Jay Aaron, right? We, we've had a few people come in and out of here, but uh, this show, it still matters. It still rings true to people. So we're going to still deliver it. You got my word on that. All right. There it is. That's Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. Those are your awards for 2023. Take care of yourselves, guys. We'll be back in the new year. Big plans ahead. But until then, I got two words for you. We are, bitch. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.